going to start with a little bit of negative news. We're not going to play where ben, where's Ben preaching from today. Because last time, you guys are so rubbish. It just wastes so much time. So we're just going to go. It's an encouragement. We're focusing on our strengths. It's not guessing where I'm preaching from. Psalm 84. Psalm 84, where we're preaching from. Um, I don't know about you guys, when you go on holiday, particularly married couples. In our, in our family, there's definitely a designated navigator and a designated driver. And I take the role of primary navigator. Um, I'm not saying Jules is bad at navigating. I'm just saying I'm better in all humility. And it's a better way around for us as a family unit for me to navigate and for Jules to drive than it to go the other way around. Um, then, and pre-Google Maps, pre-SatNav, we would have conversations that went around along the following lines. Ben, are we lost? Obviously, there was tenderness, no stress in Jules' voice whatsoever. Are we lost? And with grace and compassion, I would respond, no, dear, I just don't know where we are. We're not lost. We're just not where we want to be. We're not lost. We're just not where we want to be. And I wonder if that's an accurate description of us today. We're not lost in the sense that God has found us and he's saved us. But this morning, I want to just ask a rather in-depth, delving question to your hearts. Is your heart in the right place? Are we in the right place? And if you're anything like me, you very rarely ask that question. You just get on with life and do stuff. But I wonder if we can just take a bit of time today just to reflect on that. And the way we're going to do that is by looking at this psalm, Psalm 84. The psalmist here is writing as someone who knows is in the wrong place and longs for a different place, for a better place. And so that's what we are going to be looking at. So I'm going to read the psalm and then we'll kick off in full. Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord, and my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar. O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Bacar, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Selah. Look upon our shield, O God. Look uh, look with favour on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. I get quite excited when things that happen in the worship time really connect with what is being preached. And that seems to me is what I hope will happen 
Just this idea of empty vessels and seeing God's presence and God doing things amongst us. Any quick reading of Psalm 84 would indicate that's what God would want to do today. So I'm slightly excited by that. I don't know about you. He's already done things, but there's a possibility, a very strong possibility, he wants to do more. Let me suggest that to you. And let me just raise your expectancy a little bit for that. Now, the psalmist here clearly is thirsting for God. He wants to be close to God. He knows where his deepest longings and desires can be met. And that is the living God. What are your deepest longings and desires? What do you yearn after? What do you long for? What occupies your thought life or your dream life? What do you give your energies and passions to? What really are they? See, we were made to relate to God. We were made to be friends with God. We were made to be worshippers of God. And if there's, that's not happening, happening close by, in close proximity, something will feel like it's missing. Something will be amiss. We'll feel like we're in the wrong place, if I can put it that way. We're not lost, but we might be in the wrong place. And how often do we go elsewhere to satisfy those deepest longings that only God can satisfy? How often do we look to other places? I could give a raft of examples, but for each individual one of us, there are things that we substitute for the living God. What's your thing? What's your crutch? What's the thing that you rely on when you know you should be relying on God? What's the thing you go to when you know you should be going to the living of God? We all do it, and we all know we shouldn't do it. But when we identify it, when we think about it, it helps us then say, oh, I'm going there. I know where I should be going. I should be going to the living God. The psalmist knew he needed God. He wanted to be near to God. And he went to the temple. He would go to the temple. Under the old covenant, God chose to meet with his people in the temple in Jerusalem. He's far off. He's away. To meet with God, he has to pilgrimage. He has to journey. He has to go. He has to travel far to the temple to meet with God. He knows where he's not. He knows he's not in the presence of God. He knows the absence. He knows he wants to be near God. And that produces a sincere and deep desire and longing for the presence of God and for the living God. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even fates for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Is that how we feel about God and his presence and meeting with him? Do we share that same longing? I've got a suspicion that most of us in some capacity would have to say no to that question. Not all of us, but I would, I would put my hand up. I don't think I'm in that place. I don't think I have a, a yearning or a longing that I'm fainting for more of God. I want to be there. And if no, or a little bit of no, or something of a no is an answer to that question 
then I just wonder, I wonder whether it's because we're not quite as certain as the psalmist is about who God is and what he does. Does that make sense? I wonder whether our lack of pursuit or lack of desire for God is down to the fact that we don't, we're not totally convinced of who he is and what he has for us. And so for half the time, I just want to quickly pick through the psalm and just look at who God is and what he's done for us to encourage us, to reassure us about this good God that we serve. Let's start in verse 4. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, they are ever praising you. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, they are ever praising you. The psalmist is jealous of those who are in the house of God, in the temple courts, in the presence of God, because they have the opportunity to praise God. They are ever praising him. The idea here is that proximity to the living God produces praise. Closeness to God produces worship. I wonder if some of us don't actually want to be close to God because we're afraid about what we might find. But the amazing thing about God, and I'm sure you agree with this, that he is like a vector graphic rather than a raster graphic. We all agree with that, don't you, John? John John might be the only person that gets what I'm talking about here. No? And Tom. Matt Post would be if he was here. (laughs) He would know that. Raster and vector graphics. Let's talk about them for a second. We've got a little slide to help us understand this. A raster graphic is any sort of digital image that when you press into, go into the detail, expand, zoom, go close, it just gets worse. It gets more pixelated and you lose quality. That's kind of like everything in life. That's like me and you. You get closer to me. I know I'm very impressive right now. Um, but the closer you get to me, you find out that I'm grumpy occasionally. You'd find out that I occasionally lose my temper, that I'm actually relatively boring, and that my personal hygiene is okay, but it's not amazing. <laughs> That's what you'd find if you came close to me. If you came closer to me, you wouldn't end up appreciating me more. You'd get more annoyed with me. That would be my conclusion. God is the total opposite of that. He's like a vector graphic. You get closer and closer to God and the quality doesn't change. It doesn't get worse. You don't suddenly find something that's negative. You don't find something that you don't like or is not right or not appropriate. It's not like the quality reduces the closer you get to God. The closer you get to him, it's actually even better than a vector graphic. The closer you get to God, it's not just the same quality as from a distance. It's even better. The more you press into him, the more you know of his goodness the more impressed you are by him, the more you amazed you are by him. And you'll never find an error, you'll never find sin, you'll never find anything that is not totally and utterly worthy of praise. The psalmist knows this, and so he presses in to God. Do we know this? Do we know that God God is like a vector, not a rafter graphic? (laughs) Or even better than rafter graphic. Verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. He is our strength. There's that famous passage from Isaiah 40. 
where it says, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. There's, um, there's someone in our core group, and um, if you ask her how she's doing, she'll say, she'll, she'll be honest, and you say, oh, this is difficult, that's hard, but she said, but it's okay, because he gives me strength. And that would be her testimony for the last four or five years, that, uh, knowing a God who gives her strength. And that's just to do life. It's not like to do something impressive like climb Kilimanjaro. But life for her is tough sometimes. But her testimony is, and your testimony can be, and my testimony should be, he gives me strength. He gives you strength. He will give you strength. He's a God who strengthens us in every situation. It says in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Verse six. This is verse six. This is a bit more abstract. As we pass through the valley of Baca, I've no idea how to pronounce it, but we're going with that pronunciation. They make it a place of springs, and the autumn rains also cover it with pools. Baca. Um, it means possibly. It's a bit uncertain. Probably means weeping or sadness. And there's the idea of this valley of sadness. But what's in the valley? There are refreshing pools and refreshing springs. Psalm 23, that famous psalm. He leads us beside still waters. He restores our soul. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, even in the valley of Bacar, his rod and staff, they comfort us. As those who know God, we know a God who refreshes us in the most difficult times. We know a God who will not leave us or forsake us. We know a God that when it gets really difficult, draws close and refreshes us. So this morning, if you're in the situation, or you can identify being in the Valley of Bacar, then you can also identify with this. He will bring refreshing in the Valley of Weeping. Verse 11, we'll skip a little bit. No, I'm, I'm picking things out because there's a massive psalm and there's amazing stuff and we've only got limited time. So I, I apologise for missing bits out. Verse 11, halfway down. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Firstly, as those in Christ Jesus, we are counted righteous and as those whose walk is blameless. That's how God treats us, Okay. So that means for all of us here, no good thing does he withhold from us. It reminds me of Romans 8.28, that famous passage, God works things all together, all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. A lovely verse. We stick it on our walls, we put it on our computers, we tattoo it on our arms, Maybe. Do we really believe it? Do we really believe that God works all things together for the good of those who love him? Do we really believe that no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless? The psalmist is convinced about it. If we're not convinced about these things, we're going to be more tentative about pursuing our God unless we know these things to be absolutely true. Similarly, verse 12 says, O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man or the person who trusts in you. 
Do you trust God? Totally. Our initial response is, yes, of course we do. But I just want you to just stop a second, particularly blokes, because we're fairly superficial, and press past that. Do you really trust God totally? You see, from the beginning, the enemy has been attacking the character and integrity of God. In the Garden of Eden, he comes as a serpent to Adam and Eve and says, did God really say? Can you really trust God? And he does the same thing today. He puts seeds of doubt into our minds about the character and about the goodness of God. Do you trust God totally? In Job, chapter 13, verse 15, Job suffered incredibly. The whole book of Job, 40 chapters, most of it about Job handling and dealing with the suffering that God has brought upon him and his friends attempting to help him deal with that. He utters these words, Though you slay me, I will hope in you or I will trust you. Just think about that. This is a man who has had his livelihood, his children, his servants, everything destroyed, his health completely denigrated. And he says, though you slay me, I will trust you. Now, to some of us here, that might sound ridiculous. Let me make it sound more plausible. Children, 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 your parents do things that don't seem very nice sometimes, don't they? They might take away your toys. They might make you sit on the naughty step. Esther? <laughs> they, might, they might discipline you. And it hurts. And it's difficult. And sometimes you don't get it. But you don't walk off and stop being a child. You don't say, well, I'm sorry, parents. You're not doing a great job. I'm going to find another parent. You trust them still. Sometimes it's easier than others. Joe definitely trusts Nick. I can see in the eyes there. I trust you, Nick. Or dad, as you'd call him. (laughs) There's trust. Even though they don't understand it. And Job's in a similar position. He knows... He's more convinced about the character of God than he is about his circumstances. And if his circumstances contradict the character of God, he chooses to believe who God is above his circumstances. Because the enemy will twist our circumstances to convince us that God's character is flawed, that he's not good. And I'm convinced that this is one of the biggest battles we face as Christians on a daily basis is, is God good? Is God trustworthy? And like I say, we know he is, but do we really know he is? See, we can't long after, we can't desire, we can't faint for, we can't yearn for a God who we're not totally convinced about, who we're a little bit unsure of, where we're questioning his character and his goodness. We need to be convinced about who God is. In our hearts, in our minds, but also in the back of our minds. For me, the biggest battle is the 
background conversation that occurs in my head. This may be unique to my experience, so I apologize if it's the case, but for me, there are whispers and conversations that happen in the back of my head that indicate either truth or lies. And I have to purposely identify them, bring to the forefront of my mind and say, is this true? Does this line up with the word of God? And if it doesn't, I have to kick it out. And if it does, I embrace it. But if we don't, we can find that over time, that background conversation erodes our faith and it becomes our foreground belief. Suddenly, instead of totally being totally convinced about the goodness of God, the enemy's been whispering, did God really say? Is he really good? And suddenly we notice that we're not taking those steps of faith we used to. And suddenly we're not pursuing, pursuing him in the way we used to. And suddenly in worship, we're singing words about an amazing God who's totally perfect and taking upon himself the sins of the world, and it means nothing to us. We've got to get hold of those background conversations and make them subject to the word of God. If we don't, we can end up just doing lots of good stuff, but not actually being friends with God. We can end up leading a core group or leading a project or getting stuck in and helping people in the church or just loving one another, all of which is absolutely essential and great, but we're not actually pursuing God or relating with him. We're missing out on the primary reason we were created, which is to know this God. So, for the purposes of today, I'm just going to assume that we've won that battle. Now, it's an ongoing battle and we keep coming back to it, but we're going to move on and ask a different question. If we want more of our good God, what do we do about it? If we're yearning and longing, what do we do? What actually can we physically do to get more of God? You see, we're in a different situation to the psalmist. He knew what he had to do. He had to travel hundreds of miles to the temple in Jerusalem. That's where he could meet with God. For us, perhaps, it's a little bit more complicated. And one thing I want us to realise, and perhaps if I was to say this is possibly the most important point of this morning's message, it's this, is that we have no journey to make to the dwelling place of God. We have no journey to make to the dwelling place of God. What do I mean? Let's turn to Romans 8. Romans 8 and verse 10. If Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Paul's asking this in in the form of a question, but it's a truth that Christ, by his spirit, dwells in us. We have no journey to make to the dwelling place of God in one sense. Because God dwells in us. A truth we all know, we're all pretty used to, but just let's take two seconds just to think about that. For the psalmist, this would have blown his mind. If he wanted to go to God, he'd pilgrimage, he'd travel. For us, he resides in us by his spirit. We are the dwelling place of God. And Hebrews 4, verse 16, I think, says, we approach the throne room of God with confidence because of what Jesus has done. 
So he dwells in us and we approach him where we're at. We don't physically journey, we don't move, but we walk into the presence of God whenever we want, wherever we are, because of what Jesus has done at the cross. As believers under the new covenant, this seems normal. Under the old covenant, we wouldn't have even understood what that meant or that reality. We have such privileges as those who are in Christ. Such privileges. So we need to realize we have no journey to make to the dwelling place of God or that there is just a little journey to make to the dwelling place of God. What do I mean? 2 Corinthians 6.16 tells us that we, collectively, the church, are the temple of the living God. Under the new covenant, as well as God dwelling in us, he dwells in the church. He dwells in the church. So Jesus himself said in Matthew 18.20, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. We have known already the outworking of that truth. And we stand, or sit rather, here today, as believers, knowing that God is here right now. Whether or not you feel that is not important. We believe that. By faith, I'm convinced God is here right now. I'm convinced that God has already been working. I'm convinced that because of the power of the word of God, he is working right now by his spirit in our midst. And if you're open If you're ready, he will work with you right now by his presence. He'll distribute gifts of his spirit. He'll bring healing. He'll bring a sense of comfort. He'll give strength. Even right now. We're used to waiting to the response time, aren't we? That's when God moves. No, God's been moving through the whole meeting. When the church gathers, our expectation should be, as Ginny has encouraged, God does something. We come to worship and God comes to bless. It's an amazing dynamic. God comes to work. Our expectation, let's just lift it a little bit higher. Even now, by his spirit, he is working. So in one sense, we are always in the right place as those in which God dwells. And in another sense, we're in the right place because when we meet with the church, God meets with us and he dwells in us as the temple of the living God. But what about this idea of drawing near or having our thirst satisfied or yearning or longing? How does that work out for us as new covenant believers? Well, I'm going to finish by looking at five Ps. Yeah, yeah, I'm a proper preacher now. We're doing Ps. Five Ps. Note takers are suddenly going, this is what I've been waiting for. This is what it is. Right, number, number, number one P. P number one. <laughs> I would encourage us to get our priorities right. If we want to pursue God and get hold of more of him, in everyday life, we need to get our priorities right. In verse 10, we read that the psalmist would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of his God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. His priority is the presence of God and meeting with God. Not his status, not his job, not his friendships, not his marital status. His priority is God. 
which means that for us, we sometimes are going to have to make difficult decisions. Because sometimes we may be offered things that are very attractive, but are actually going to pull us away from either spending time with God or the purposes of God. And people of the world will just say, you're a fool. Why did you not take that? Why did you not end up going into a relationship with that person? Well, God wasn't in it. But they were, they, but they, they were lovely. But I, there was no sense of peace about it. God, God didn't lead me that way. He was leading me this way. And I want him more than I want a relationship. Or maybe it's a job. A job opportunity in another, another city. And it's amazing. Increased money. It's just what you've been dreaming of. But you know God has said to you, I want you in Sheffield. What do you do? It's, you, know, you know what the right answer is, but it's not that easy, is it? The right answer is we pursue God, but it's difficult. Those difficult decisions. And maybe at school, you've got friends that, friends that encourage you to do things that aren't right. And you want to be cool. You want to hang out with the cool kids and want to be accepted. But actually, you know, God calls you to walk before him and do good things and not bad things. And so you might have to make a difficult decision that says... I'm not going to hang around with the cool kids because I know God doesn't like that. Now, some cool kids are okay and they don't encourage you to do bad things. So it's not about being cool. It's about do... I mean, we've, there's a proverb that we've kind of translated into when bad friends tell you to do wrong things, don't hang around with them. That's our little translation for our girls at their age. When friends encourage you to do wrong they're no friends at all what does God want are we going to pursue God are you going to chase after him from the three four five six seven eight year olds you can chase after God he's got things for you and you can make decisions that say I want more of God even in your life even today P number two taking advantage of our privileges privileges is the P taking advantage of is the prefix Take advantage of our privileges. If I were to offer you today, as a family or individual, couple, whatever, free tickets, all expenses paid, to Disneyland Paris. I'm not, by the way. It's an example. (laughs) Rory wouldn't take it anyway. Think of something that would be really exciting for you, Rory. It's an amazing trip, all totally free, paid for. You don't have to do anything for it. I give it to you, and then you never go. What? Why would you not go? It's free. It's going to be amazing. The best holiday ever for some people. We have been given free access to God's throne room and some of us never go there or rarely go there. I would suggest... Are we taking advantage of the privileges that we have in Christ? Think again of this psalmist who is so desperate for God that he would walk hundreds of miles to get to a temple where he could offer sacrifices and meet with God. We have to open the Bible. We have to 
begin to speak to him. We have to do virtually nothing to spend time with God. And yet, how often is it easier to change channel than turn the page of the Bible? How often is it easier to do something else rather than spend time with God? I don't say that to make us feel bad. I know you know that. I'm saying it to say, we've got such privileges and such opportunities. Why don't we make more of them? Free access to the throne room of God. This is a P number three, it's a double P. Put aside pride. Let, in, I found really interesting what John brought about empty vessels, and I was so encouraged by that. And I wonder whether actually putting aside pride is a way of making us empty for God to fill us. I think pride can be a real blocker to God, to meeting with God. Let me explain what I mean. Um, I used to work for the civil service and part of what I used to do was deliver workshops to a group of people who run a project in order to help them kickstart their project. And I can still distinctly remember the first one I did, going down on the train to London, packing a spare pair of underwear just in case. So nervous and so scared about the prospect of doing this workshop. And I remember not quite physically being on my my knees in the train carriage, but definitely praying, God help me, God help me, I need you, I can't do this. Ten workshops later, I was like, yeah, nailed that boy. No problems at all. Off we go. God, <laughs> take a back seat. I can do this. No problems at all. And, and in some senses, we get used to things. And in some senses, we, when we do something first time around, we are exceptionally reliant upon God. But I think as a danger as competent Westerners, whose lives are relatively sorted, that we can kind of live like we don't need God. And yet the Bible tells us that he gives us the very air that we breathe. The very air that we yawn. The very air that we take in. God gives us. We need him for the very breath that we breathe. We need him to do the jobs that he's called us to do. We need him to be the spouses he's called us to be. We need him to be the parents he's called us to be. We need him to be the children he's called us to be. We need him to be the singles that he's called us to be. We need him to do all that he's called us to do. And if we operate in a place of pride, subtle, unidentified, secret pride that says, I'm all right, Jack, I'm okay, I think we're actually saying we're not an empty vessel. We don't need more of God. I think there's something of that dynamic in there. Um, P number four, quaff. It's not a P, I appreciate, but I couldn't, I couldn't think of a P that was synonymous with drink. So I went for quaff because that's next to, Q is next to P. So you're gracious, aren't you? You, you, you can live with that. Quaff, quaff means to drink. Let's go to John chapter seven because... This is a really important passage for today. John chapter 7 and verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, if anyone is an empty vessel, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. 
And by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. How do we have our thirst satisfied? How do we yearn? How do we get more of God? Ephesians 5, 25, no, Ephesians 5, not 25, says, I haven't got the verse reference, sorry. It says, keep on, or it means keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Do not get drunk on wine, but instead be filled. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a promise. If anyone is thirsty, I will the Spirit will fill them, will satisfy them. It is a promise. We can be confident on that. And the Spirit flows to the thirsty. So I asked this morning, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Are you empty? We need to quaff. We need to drink of the Spirit. No potentate. Mm, I looked at it, it's not quite right, Rory. Quaff. Um, Quaff the spirit. (laughs) Sounds so middle class when I say that. Um, I'm going to add a P in. This P was added in this morning. I was reading the Bible this morning, and I was reading um, about the dedication of Solomon's temple in uh, 1 Chronicles 5, 6, and 7. And if you know the story at all, there's this amazing situation where the, the temple is filled with the presence of the glory of God. So much so that the priests who are meant to be worshipping and leading the worship can't do it because the sense of the presence of God is so great. And there are times in the New Testament on the day of Pentecost where the Spirit comes and physically you know that God is there. The room shook and the wind blew. At Cornelius' house, the same situation, it was obvious. God was there. It wasn't just a faith declaration, knowing we're the temple of God, where the Spirit dwells. It was a physical, literal reality for them in those situations. Now, Most people, I think, when reading these psalms, arrive at this point and say, that's what it's about for us. It's about those moments where God meets with us and comes by his presence into meetings and you are, everyone there knows that God is here. The glory of God, the weight of his presence is so strong, everyone knows that he is physically present in the meeting. Now that is one aspect of us pursuing God and it's it's what God does and it is amazing when it happens but I don't want us to miss the other P's. The priorities of spending time with God and taking advantage of the privileges that we have in him. That we're getting rid of pride and saying, yeah, we're empty, we need more of you. Quaffing of him. But there are also times when his presence comes. And we long for those moments as well. And we pray for those moments. And by his sovereignty and by his spirit, he comes and does that. Does that. Let me conclude. We need to be convinced about the character of God. To know who he is means to want more of him. 
That's when the longing and yearning kicks in, when we know who he really is and what he's really like and what we can expect when we draw close to him. And we need to realize that we need more of him in every situation. We need light and protection and strength and refreshing and he is always our primary source of that. But we also need to believe and be convinced of the fact that he dwells in us. There is no distance we need to travel to the dwelling place of God because he dwells in us. And we can enter the throne room of God any place, anytime, anywhere. And based on those glorious truths, we want to be those people who get our priorities right. And we take advantage of our privileges. We get rid of pride. We get hold of more of the Spirit. And we constantly ask for more of the Spirit on a daily or hourly or momentary basis, recognizing we're weak, empty vessels that need Him. And in the meantime, today, we can ask for more of Him. We can pursue him wholeheartedly as our wonderful God who can satisfy our deepest longings. So I'm going to, Dave and Tom, if you want to come back up, that would be much appreciated. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to worship. And then we're just going to see what happens. If, if we come to a greater conclusion about who God is and we're convinced about the fact that he dwells in us and we want to take advantage of that, then I'm happy. I'm really happy with that. If he wants to do more than that this morning, great. That's good as well, isn't it? Do you want to stand? I'm just going to pray for us and then we're going to worship. Father God, I thank you that you exactly who you say you are. And when we come to you, we don't draw close and find something that is suddenly different. We find something that is better, something that is greater, someone who is more wonderful than we could ever conceive. And Spirit of God, I pray right now, come and destroy the work of the enemy. I pray for those people who have been been believing the lies of the enemy when he has said, Is God really trustworthy? Did God really say? In Jesus' name, we say lies go and truth take root in people's hearts and minds this morning. Lord, I pray for those who just identify that pride, who identify that, yeah, actually, I've been trying to do this on my own strength. I've been trying to do things my way, the way I wanted, and it's not working. Lord, let them have the confidence to let go of that pride and, that, and, and to ask you in now by your Spirit. And I pray, Lord, do something amongst us this morning that allows us to choose to pursue you on a daily basis more than we have done previously. Lord, whether it's just flipping the Bible open for a couple of minutes or whether it's getting five minutes to pray, Lord, help us to get more time with you and to take full advantage of the privileges we have in Christ. And we want to to declare this morning, Lord, that we know we need more of you and we ask by your Spirit that you would come this morning, even now. I want to pray as we worship. Holy Spirit, will you come and minister to us? Will you come and fill us afresh? 
Will you come and do something amongst us that we will talk about for weeks and months? Come, Holy Spirit, I pray.